Welcome to Casual Conversations by Momentum Ministries. Hi, this is Paul Flowers, and I'm filling in today for Pastor Scott Wade. I'm joined today by John Reeves, the pastor of Radius Church here in Lexington, South Carolina. We will be discussing the call of Christ to plant churches in today's ever-increasingly post-Christian America. And we'll see how Pastor John sees the gospel at work in the church's efforts to be the laborers in the fields that are white unto harvest. Hey, hey, how's everybody? Thank you so much for joining us today, John. Hey, glad to be here. Should be fun. So, um, would you mind giving me a little bit of a background on yourself and sure. uh, where, how you even got into this ministry for the Lord? Yeah, yeah. Was well, I mean the most important story to tell is how I came to Christ. I met Jesus as a young boy. So, as folks take this in, it's just encourage them. My parents. Uh, really introduced Christ to me both at the dinner table and by taking me to church and and uh, really at a really young age I knew I was a sinner and had pretty pretty funny looking back on it came down one night after my bedtime and my dad I asked my dad I said we got to talk and he came sat on my bed and uh, reminded me of some verses they had taught me and I came to Christ and then uh, man probably Middle school age, I started really um, taking my faith more seriously. I, I don't know if that's the right way. Really felt maybe at twelve, like um, calling's probably not a word I'd use a bunch for me, but certainly the Holy Spirit started dealing with me personally, and my times with the Lord became really rich as even a boy. And I did start dreaming about. Could I have an impact on the world for Christ? So a lot of that started out here in the story of Hudson Taylor. Some of the listeners may have heard of him. He's a famous missionary from China. And as I listened to stories about Hudson Taylor, and he actually was able to take the gospel and put it into Chinese context. He dyed his hair black, grew his hair long. Like he did, he broke all the rules, but he he really got the gospel to the people in China. And so I started dreaming about that even as a boy. I would call it a calling, but I would say it was on my mind. And then uh, went to Clemson. My dad's a chemical engineer. Decided I'd be a chemical engineer, which I could kind of do the work, believe it or not. And uh, then my, my sophomore year really felt um, compelled by God um, in a number of ways to take a step of faith. And my dad knew a guy at a Bible college. And I went there, studied, finished my degree there, got a little Bible degree. Took me five semesters plus some time at Clemson. So we did it quick. And then... Still had no anticipation of ever really being in ministry. Wanted to be a, you know, a, a good member of a local church and do my part. But um, as everybody should pay attention, as a young man, the church gave me a couple opportunities to speak, and my gifts started making room for themselves. I like to say, like that people would ask me to speak more, and then I got asked to speak multiple places. Wasn't really something I was trying to do, but I got those opportunities, and people recognized some gift in me. And my passion for the local church continued to grow. So at 27, long story short, Cheryl and I left to go plant our first church. And uh, I'm 55 now for everybody listening. So for 28 years, more than half of my life, I've been planting churches. Started uh, with our very first one in Clemson, South Carolina, which the Gamecock fans in South Carolina would say, that's a place you really need a church. But uh, we, we, would, uh, we, we moved in. Uh, my brother was a linebacker for Clemson. And we started this little church called Downtown Community Fellowship. Still exists today. It was uh, 
man, I did a lot of dumb things, and yet the Lord was, you know, faithful even in my ignorance and established a, a church that's produced a lot of fruit over the years and continues to. Yeah, so that's that was the start. I mean, I, calling is probably strong. I never had this moment where I felt like the Lord said, I want you to be in ministry. I did have moments where I felt like the Lord sent me specific places to plant churches later. And so we've tried to be obedient to that communication. Anytime the Lord asks us to do something, we, Cheryl and I, my wife, my, my wife and I, we, we try to be obedient and go get it. That's awesome. Yeah. So getting to know Radius, yeah. one of the most compelling concepts you have uh, that, that reminds me of the Great Commission every time I come here yeah. is the concept of the Radius. Right. Would you please explain what you mean in the name of the church and in the brand, even, if you will, like the world tries to tell us yeah. to do? You scare me with the brand, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, but what, <laughs> what does Radius mean here? Yeah, so Radius, the name itself was uh, came from w- one of our very first staff guys, um, and he came up with the name. At, at first, it was kind of just a cool name that he came up with. And then as I heard it, after suggesting lots of really not-so-good names my, that I came up with, I felt like Radius captured who we wanted to be. That, that name captured who we wanted to be. And I, I give my wife credit for really um, building our family into a family that was going to be responsible for our personal neighborhood. So our first church plant grew and it grew big and fast and lots of people came. We baptized lots of folks and it was exciting. But toward the end of our three year stay planting that church, we started to realize we didn't know our literal neighbors next door. And so uh, when we moved to plant our uh, second and third church, that became the gig. Cheryl would meet every single neighborhood neighbor. She'd pray for us. We we can only live in so big of a neighborhood because she wants to know everybody. She's an extrovert. she got to know everybody. So our neighbor, if I remember right, 34 houses. She knew every family, every child, and she kept up with them. And we just got, man, it seems really odd to lead a church and not know your neighbors. When the Bible specifically tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. So out of that, those three years of planting churches, really almost four in Atlanta and getting to know our neighbors. Now, Cheryl, that's the house next door and that's the the subdivision we lived in. For me, it was much more the baseball field, the coaches and the players. We started trying to live that out that we had not only share the gospel with them, but to love them and know them. And so that, that became kind of mine and Cheryl's DNA and it really took some of our focus off on what was happening at church and put it in the community, in the neighborhood. And so when we came and start, when we came up with the name Radius, that really captured that idea that we're responsible uh, not only for this town. So Radius Church, responsible for the town. We pray for the town. We pray for other churches in the town. Uh, but we're, well, our people are responsible for their literal neighborhoods. So in the early days of Radius, this will make some of you church folks nervous that listen to this, that we would, if somebody came in and asked what our views were, like what our views were on eschatology, on when the Lord's going to return, or what our views were on spiritual gifts, the, the normal questions you get, the, our first question back is, what's your neighbor's name? If they didn't know their neighbor's name, then we're not, we're not going to talk about theology because you had to obey the simplest command, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. 
So go get to know your neighbor, take your neighbor cookies, get to know their name, then we'll answer your question. It really helped us zero in on who we wanted to be. And to this day, uh, you'll hear those stories around here that, that that is what we want to happen. We want people for responsible for their radius. It's worked great. Jeremiah Jones was our worship leader at the time. He gets full credit for the name. I had a name. I'm embarrassed to tell you what this, this place almost got named. almost got named Oasis, which is the opposite of what I want to be. Like, like it's a place, in my mind, it, at the time, it was like, it's a place you can come and rest, and it's safe. I'm like, no, no, we're supposed to be going out. So Radius really says go out. Oasis says come in and be safe. So uh, Jeremiah Jones gets a bunch of credit, and my wife Cheryl gets the credit for really getting to know her neighbors. I love the fact that the radius moves with you outside the bounds of the church. That's right. To the baseball field. That's right. To work. To your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. After all, we we're the church, so like we when we gather, it's beautiful, and we, we love gathering together as the church. But man, we are the church, and so yeah, certainly we want to represent Christ wherever we go. So. Here at Radius, you have a beautiful mission statement, yeah. and I'd love for everybody to get a chance to hear this and share a bit of what your vision and the vision of the staff yeah. and the buy-in of the entire congregation. What is that? Yeah, we keep working on it. We uh, So my favorite part about our mission statement is we didn't have one until we are 14 years old. So like normally, <laughs> normally, like, you know, you go to the conference and they say, all right, come up with your mission statement, and then go start your business or, in our case, start a church. In our case, we uh, we were a church. We kind of knew who we were. We certainly had this name working for us. But about, so we're 19 now. About five years ago, uh, the elders and I went on a retreat. And we're like, we need to come up with a mission statement. So we actually named ourselves for what we already are. So 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 when I, I named ourselves, that's not right. The, our mission statement represents who we already were and we wanted to continue being. So our, our mission statement, Radius Church exists to glorify God. And you've heard me do this a bunch of times. And I stop and I I try to get all of our folks to stop when they say that because that is a good enough mission statement. Our our end game is to bring glory to God. That is what every church ought to be about. In our case, then we try to describe like how do we want to bring glory to God and how do do we feel like he specifically directed us. And so we say by making disciples, planting churches and living generously and you know, we, we hold ourselves to a high account on those three things. We we uh, when it comes to disciple making, certainly you know the gathering Sundays and we, we do small groups is a big part of discipleship. But what excites us most is you know pulling up to Wendy's and there's two dudes sitting across the table talking about the scriptures together and pulling up to you know whatever restaurant and there's two ladies sitting together talking about the scriptures. That that really excites us when it comes to discipleship. Planting churches, we've just been serious about that since the beginning. A great story from Radius is that at three years old, I planted this church. They sent me to plant another church in another town, and we didn't have a pastor here. So the Lord provided. It's a guy in town named Todd Carnes. He ended up leading Radius for us, but we were that serious about it at the beginning. They'd send the lead pastor to another town, and I planted one in Greenville. And we've been serious about it all these years. Living generously. We discipline ourselves. Uh, for church folks, this might be a little interesting. Uh, like we, we try to take 30% of the total income off the top. So like if, if somebody gives a dollar to Radius, then 30 cents is going out. So that, that we, we talk about 
local generosity, so taking care of the impoverished in our community, which we, as you hear as we push that hard, and we have partners that kind of execute that. And then we're really serious about domestic church planting. So we, we take a big chunk of our money and put it in the, the domestic church planting budget and then international missions. So it's not exactly 10%, 10%, 10%, but, but uh, we, we invest in those three areas heavily and we're disciplined to do that on, a, on an annual basis. So, yeah, we get after, man. And then, you know, we really want our people to do all those things in their radius outside of planting churches. So we make disciples in your radius and then live generously in your radius. Take care of the needs of the people around you. What's been cool about it is that you actually have this in a, I I read this somewhere in in a post-Christian nation, it actually builds trust. So most of the folks in the South know church, but they don't trust the church. So living generously has certainly been this thing that has built trust where, uh, people but also organizations begin to trust again gives us the opportunity to represent jesus in the gospel yep thank you pastor john for that in a moment we'll come back and we'll start talking about what it actually looks like to plant churches here in the increasingly post-christian america hi this is john with momentum ministries In his book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, John Maxwell talks about the law of the big mo, momentum. He says it's a leader's best friend that when you have it, the future looks bright and obstacles feel small. In many ways, that's our longing at Momentum Ministries to be a good friend, to come alongside and support you in ways that enhance your life to help you attain, maintain, and regain spiritual momentum. Thanks for giving us that opportunity. We're truly honored. Welcome back to Casual Conversations by Momentum Ministries. We're continuing a conversation with Pastor John Reeves, who is the pastor here in Lexington, South Carolina, of Radius. John, thanks so much for sharing uh, this background. Now we want to really get into the awesome mission God has for not only you, but for the whole congregation. Sure. And how everybody here is invigorated by the concept of planting churches domestically. Would you share a little bit of why that's important, even in the South, like we said earlier, that's post-Christian to a certain degree and has a different denomination, a different church, a different something on every street corner? Yeah, that's great. Um, First of all, I don't know if everybody at Radius is excited about church planting. I wish we were. We're working toward that. You're You're right, though. Our partners are excited about church planting and so we've tried to build a culture of we go. I think in, in, in America, as folks listen to this and think about their church, some folks are saying that you kind of get in the mode where you're begging people to stay. And that's just concerning when the church starts begging people to stay. And then you've got some growing churches and they their folks are constantly inviting people to come to come and see what's going on there. We really want to get our folks in a position of saying, no, we want you to go. So as opposed to being worried if they'll stay or or trying to just get more people to come, we really want to get our, particularly our partners, our members, to the point of being willing to go. And so there's pretty big celebration when we send a bunch of folks out. So we're we're working on that now. Hopefully we'll plant some more in the the coming years and months. But yeah, man, the, the stats don't, 
don't lie on where the church is, you know, in America and the South being more church than most of the nation. Our stats are a little better, but they're not good. Um, I read a stat the other day, Greenville, South Carolina, which is one of the most church cities in America, is uh, has 18% church attendance from adults in the town. So, you, you know, everybody says there's a church on every corner. Why would you plant another church? I'm like, because, I'm like, man, this, there's 80% of our community that doesn't go to church. So, like, eventually, um, there's plenty of work to be done. And then to add to that, like a, a lot of our churches are closing. They're closing rapidly. Since COVID, that thing's doubled. The people are, the churches are closing rapidly across America. And so, they, yeah, you see buildings, but there's nobody in them. There's, there's very small congregations, uh, which nothing wrong with that if they're healthy, but many of them are, are, are struggling to stay open just to pay the bills. So we, we've benefited from that. So there's been some very generous churches that have given us their buildings. And we've taken their buildings and put them, put them in play. And really, really, what's happened throughout church history is that there'll be another generation that comes along and they'll innovate for for their people. And you know, we happen to be in that beginning parts at Radius, and we're already feeling like we're getting older, right? Like there's a, there's got to be some younger people to come and take the reins. And eventually, Radius will will die and we'll pass the baton to the to the next group and. You know, who knows? Hopefully we'll last a long time, but eventually that baton will need to be passed and there'll need to be new churches planted and maybe they'll use our buildings. Who, who knows how that works? But there's always a need to plant churches. I mean, there's really never been a time where it's been the, the, the culture's been completely saturated. So, I mean, yeah, you go across the world in places where there's no church. Europe, there's virtually no church now. So they need church plants. You go to Africa where the church is just exploding. And they're planting churches under every tree, right? Like they're meeting outside. It's beautiful. In in South Carolina, people still want to gather on Sunday, so there's lots of work to be done planting churches here. It's really cool uh, seeing the Sunday services, the gatherings, to see a broad array of people of all ages yeah. coming in here. Yeah. And it's cool to see that this model of church planting reaches the whole spectrum from young children all the way to seniors. Now, with that being said, I think you get often lumped into the megachurch model. Sure. But that's not what I've experienced here. Could you sure. give us a little bit of an understanding of what your multi-site model with no central megachurch with thousands of people, sure. how this functions the way it does? Yeah, so we're we're kind of like a, we're a little bit odd, a little, little hybrid-ish. Um, First of all, I would go, man, I'm for small church and mega church. I'm not against any of the models as long as they're proclaiming Christ and there's a level of health in their discipleship, which I know great small churches and great large churches. And I also know really bad small churches and really bad large churches. So for us, we're trying to get a little bit of both worlds where there's some advantage uh, certainly in the small, in, in the community that you can have with one another. And then in the large, like there's there's this opportunity to specialize in some stuff and use your resources in some ways that you just generally don't get with the small. So we, we try to do both. Um, we have decided, so we have, we, we call them campuses. We're always hesitant because we also want to call them churches. You actually hear our guys have a hard time naming them because we don't want to commit to a word. One of our guys calls it a spot because he just gets stuck on the word. But, but there's... 
we have six churches. We all share a budget. So that makes us seem like a large church, which is what the multi-site does. And yet all six churches have a pastor and they preach the majority of the time and they're not really controlled by the central. So like we, we decide to preach the same topics, which saves us some time. But the guys then have all this freedom to preach it the way they want to. So there's 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 a lot of autonomy among the six, which is what's why it feels smaller. And then the small group part of of the Lord. So this this where you attend, there's a good many folks that go here, but then small groups really make it feel smaller because there's a, there's this group of people that you know really well. And those two things working together have have worked for to keep it feeling small. It's still you know it's. For me, it's I've always been a church planner, so it's I'm 200 or less, and I know everybody, and now I can't know everybody. That's frustrating. But if you really believe in the priesthood of all believers, that every believer has a job, then and you move some of the responsibility out of the pastor's role to the small group leaders. So it just happened the last uh, t- uh, t- two weeks ago. One of our guys had a stroke, went to the hospital. I knew about it. I didn't go see him. A small group leader did a small group leader, multiple small group members came and visited and prayed over him in the hospital. That's what the Bible teaches. You don't need a guy with some degree or ordination to go see that that, that guy, the leader of his small groups, actually a representative of Jesus. He goes and I get here about it. And I always tell people, man, if I show up to the hospital, it's bad. You must be dying because I'm because the way it should work is through our group, through our group uh, system. So it keeps it kind of small. I recognize that. Some folks want to know everybody, and then you probably won't be in a small church. And I love the small group I'm in, and I love the fact that the small groups uh, don't stay static for no. years and years on no. end. That's right. The fact that there's the freedom to get to know more of the body of Christ yep. uh, after the season ends, that's an encouraging opportunity. Yeah, we, we designed them that way. One, because it gives you a little bit of ability to move and meet new people. Two, because we want them to multiply. So not only do we want our churches to plant, we want our groups to plant. So there's a lot of times a group of 10, well, then two guys will go start another group. And, you know, you get that reproduction inside. Then you kind of have this potential for exponential growth. And, and uh, it really ends up being way more healthy than driving it all from, from the center. That's cool how the church seeks to empower the members and how you seek to empower even down to the small groups themselves. How do you envision uh, this empowerment going not just to the local churches within your network, within the campuses, within the churches of Radius, but also empowering the Radius of all the churches, all the believers here in the greater Columbia area? That's great. I mean... For one, man, what the Holy Spirit does is, you know, most important there. So as we ask the Holy Spirit to move on the church in the Midlands or in Columbia, and as he stirs within not only pastors but leaders in local churches, that's really where we'll come together. But I think the cool part about being a church plant in a new area and why we want to plant new churches in new areas is it, it puts a little bit of a prophetic voice in the community for the churches that exist. It's not a better than, but it's this young church where they're doing some innovative stuff. Well, most of us get sleepy after a while. Like like the church just becomes a little sleepy. We're asking questions. This, this particular campus we're sitting at is 20 years old. We're like, are we getting sleepy? 
Are we doing some stuff that we just always done that are that are not biblically mandated? Are we really connecting with the twenty-five-year-old? Like we're asking, as long as you're not selling out on anything theologically, but is there another way we can connect? Then we want to. So when a new church comes to town and they do connect and they do know their neighbors in in, in our case, or they live generously, then it puts pressure on all the other churches to do. They know it, you know, the the solid churches know what they are supposed to be, but you're just reminded when the young guys, so sometimes it feels like a threat, but generally when a new church comes in and actually thrives, it actually blesses all the other churches because it checks them just a little bit. And then oftentimes they get to work and, we produce fruit the same way they always have. They just kind of got a little sleepy over time. All of us do it. So it's, it's not this downward, arrogant speak. It's more like, nah, we, we're we up and down people. We need to be checked. And a church plant often can do that. That's awesome yeah. that it's a teammate, Absolutely. a teamwork approach to the lost of this area. Yeah, so one of the things that we do you know, pretty regularly is that we pray for other churches in our in our in our radius publicly it just reminds our people and us that this isn't just about us it's, it's really about what the holy spirit's doing in our town we want them to move across the board not just not just with us yeah. if you had any closing thoughts any remarks about how you wish the holy spirit would move not just in the greater columbia area but sure. around the nation what would you like to share with our listeners it's crazy time so yeah, I would love, I mean, I'd love to see him uh, bring repentance. Um, I, th- I think for people to see their sin is, you know, the beginning of repentance. But I, I think that perhaps repentance would start with real worship, not sleepy worship. But re- And I don't mean, like, it doesn't have anything to do with, how, with, the, with music, but worship from our hearts, aligning ourselves with who God is um, and and until until as a nation we again uh, worship well, then I doubt we will actually hold our lives out for the Lord to look at. And until those two things happen, I don't think the church is that attractive. And um, I think we're in, we're in bad shape, you know. Like like there's either going to be we're always wanting everybody else to change. But I really believe if the church woke up, then we would be bright and many, many would respond to the gospel. But we always like, you know, railing on somebody else out there instead of like focusing on where we are with the Lord. So, yeah, I'd love to see the church wake up. And I think worship and repentance, I don't know which comes first, but it it probably happens differently at different times in history. So it'd be cool to see an awakening. That'd be awesome. We all yearn for that day. Indeed. Well, let's pray, and uh, and then we'll uh, we'll conclude with a word from Pastor Scott. Dear Lord, we thank you for this moment, this time to hear your Holy Spirit and share the vision of planting churches and seeing our mm-hmm. individual radius expand, be glorified not just in the churches but in the individuals as they take personal responsibility for the lost in their own radius. We pray that as you anoint pastors this coming week, as they speak, that they would be transparent vessels for the Holy Spirit to speak and empower their congregations. 
We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul, and thank you, Pastor John Reeves. I have only one regret that I couldn't be on with you when you recorded, and that regret is that I didn't get to meet Pastor John personally. But I do appreciate all the wonderful truth and excitement that you shared with our listeners today. Well, that's it for today's casual conversation. Join us again next week, and God bless you. John at Momentum Ministries. If you are a pastor listening to this podcast, Pastor Scott would like to know how he can assist you. You can contact him through our website or email at info at momentumministries.org. Thanks for listening in today on Casual Conversations. God bless you.